tried. We tried before we ever came here. Went to Charlotte, drove to the ends of the earth. And I remember in the car, going on the way to Charlotte one day, I looked over at Chris and I said, you know, we could always go to Kevin's church. And she just glared and scowled at me. But then when we walked through the door, it's, it's, been, a, it's been an amazing, amazing journey. And I know that, I know that it's really molded me into what God has called me to be. So Lord, we ask you this morning to be with us. We ask you to speak through everything that is said this morning into each and every heart. Lord, we thank you for your resurrecting power. We thank you for the, for the love that you show each and every one of us on a daily basis when you wake us up with your breath. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your church. We thank you for our brothers and our sisters, God. We pray for all those that are not here today. Lord, we pray, Lord, for those that have, Lord, broke fellowship with us, God. Lord, we ask you, God, to bring them back, God, in a new, in a new mighty way, God. Lord, let a fresh outpouring, God, reach somebody that may be listening to this that came here 15 years ago. Lord, let that reach that person this morning. Let it reach deep down into their heart. Let them hear your voice. Lord, let them remember what they used to have. Let them remember how their life used to flow when they came here. Let them remember, Lord, the plans that you have to give them a good hope and a future and to prosper them. Lord, remind us of who you've made us to be this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So turn to John chapter number quattro. Or four. John chapter 4. And I want to talk to you a little bit about St. Fotini. St. <laughs> <Saint> Fotini. <laughs> going to give a little bit of history lesson here. John chapter 4. We're going to start at verse 39. John 4:39 This is after the encounter with the woman at the well, okay? After she encountered Christ, this is what happened. Verse 39, and many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him for the saying of the woman which testified, he told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans were come unto him, they besought him that he would tarry with them, and he abode there 2 days. And many more believed because of his own word, and said unto the woman, Now we believe, not because of thy saying, for we have heard him ourselves, and know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. You see, something that the Western church does a very poor job of is recognizing church history. We do a terrible, awful, horrendous job of recognizing church history. See, if you, if you grew up in the Eastern Orthodox Church, when I said St. Fatini, you'd know exactly who I was talking about. If I said St. Fatini, if you grew up in the Eastern Orthodox Church, there'd be no doubt who, who she is. But we don't know who she is. Because in the West, we don't recognize church history. We just say, well, it's not in the Bible. Well, I got news for you. There's a whole lot of people that died so you could get that Bible. And those are the people that we just forsake. We don't want to hear nothing about them because they're not from inside this cover here. But just because they're not inside this cover didn't mean it happened. Do you know when John wrote Revelation? It was around 90, the year 90. And you know how many people were being murdered 
when he wrote Revelation? Do you not think that's why he might have said about the fifth seal, those that are under the altar of the Lord? Those that cry out for their blood to be avenged? The martyrs is what we're talking about. St. Fatini was a martyr for Christ, but yet we don't know who she is. The West does not know who she is. All we know is that she met Jesus at a well. And because she's a woman, and we're in the West, we're not going to give her any more credence to any more of her story because it's not in the Bible. That needs to stop. She's got a history. A lot went on after Jesus called her out of the depths of the grave. After she met Him at the well. She ran back to Samaria, and she, she became the first evangelist in the Gospels. She became the first evangelist to the known world for Christ. Her name was St. Fatini. Listen, listen to this little brief history I'm going to give you on her. her, her well, the way they say it is P-H-O-T-I-N-I. Fotini. T-I-N-I. P-H-O-T-I-N-I. So, what I'm going to be telling you here is going to be coming from the Eastern Orthodox Church. And it's, it's a uh, historical, oral, it's a historical oral, oral storytelling called hagiography. And it's where they've passed down this story through the generations. So I'm not telling you this is out of the Bible. I'm telling you this is church history. Okay? So you can differentiate the two. It's okay to differentiate the two. But we can't totally forsake church history because it's not in the Bible. Because the Bible was what we're given, but the church history is going on right now. Church history is when you speak up and you speak your testimony. Church history is when you bring up your mother and your father and those that brought you to church. That's your story. For us to forsake church history would be to forsake our own story because we are church history. So her name, St. Fatini, means the enlightened one. Enlightened one. Photos is where the name comes from, which means light. So, it's where we get our word photo. <clears throat> so, the Eastern Orthodox Church regards her as equal with the apostles. She converted her five sisters and both sons. Then baptized by the apostles, she left Samaria to spread the gospel in Carthage. Her son named Victor became a soldier in the Roman army and was appointed as the military commander in Asia Minor. Nero called him to Italy to arrest Christians. So that's her son. He's now in the Roman army and he's been called to be the commander of Asia Minor. And he's, he's asked to arrest Christians. Sebastian is another person we're going to talk about. Sebastian was an Italian leader, an Italian official who befriended Victor, which is Fotini's son. Victor's in the Roman army, told to kill Christians, arrest Christians. Sebastian's trying to do him a solid and tell him, hey, y'all need to tell your mama, you need to tell your mama to quit preaching so much because Nero's a bad dude. Okay, Sebastian was trying to do Victor a favor and say, if, you keep, if your mama keeps preaching about Jesus, she's going to wind up dead. That's what he told Victor. And the history of it is, Victor said, you know what, I would tell her that, but the problem is I plan on being a preacher just like my mama. That's what Victor told him. So when he tells Sebastian that, guess what happens to Sebastian? He receives a pain in his eyes, and he's blind for four days. He's blind for four days. Sound familiar? Sounds very familiar. 
After Sebastian fretted for the woes awaiting victory, he went blind for, for four days, and on the fourth day, he declared that the God of the Christians is the only true God. So Victor asked him, why? Why have you changed your mind? And he said, because Christ is calling. Christ is calling. He, re he regained his sight after his baptism. Then all his servants, all the servants of Sebastian, were baptized after seeing the miracle. So all this ruckus gets to Nero. Who's heard of Nero before? Anybody heard of Nero? Okay. Have you read the Book of Martyrs? Anybody dabbled in the Book of Martyrs a little bit? So, so, so Nero, emperor of Rome, gets word of all this stir that Fotini has caused. So he summons everyone to come to him. So when they re the reports reached him, he commanded that the Christians be brought to Rome. The Lord himself appeared to the confessors and said, Fear not, for I am with you, Nero. You know, for I am with you, Nero, and all who serve him will be vanquished. The Lord said to Victor, From this day forward, your name will be Photinus, because through you many will be enlightened and will believe in me. The Lord then told Christians to strengthen and encourage Sebastian to preserve until the end. Is this okay? A little bit of church history. Okay. All these things and even further events were revealed to St. Fatini. So she left Carthage in the company of several Christians and joined the confessors in Rome. The Holy Ghost told Fatini that her son has been summoned to Rome. That's exactly what happened. The Holy Ghost told her that. Nobody called Fatini. The Holy Ghost told her, your son's being summoned to Rome to go face Nero. And what did Fatini do? She remembered that day that Jesus met her at the well and said, he's not going alone. I'm starting to feel it. <laughs> Nero ordered that Sebastian, Photinus, and Joseph, which was another one of her sons, be blinded and locked up in prison. And St. Fatini and her five sisters, Anatola, Phota, Photis, Paraskova, Kariake, I can't say Kiriake, it sounds like uh, teriyaki, but anyway, were went to the imperial court under the supervisions of Nero's daughter, Domnima. Now, Domnima is Nero's daughter, St. Fatini then converted his daughter and her servants to Christ. She also converted a sorcerer who had been uh, commanded to bring poison and poison her, their meal. So this lady was coming to poison them. St. Fatini not only drunk it, drunk the poison in faith, knowing it was poison. She didn't get harmed, but the lady that brought the poison got converted too. Nero sent his own daughter to stop her. She became converted too. Nero then gave orders to crucify the saints and to beat their naked bodies with straps. On the fourth day, the, emp the emperor sent servants to see whether the martyrs were still alive. Approach Listen to this. Approaching the place of tortures, the servants fell blind. An angel of the Lord freed the martyrs from their crosses and healed them. The saints took pity on the blinded servants and restored their sight by their prayers to the Lord. Those who were healed came to believe in Christ and were soon baptized. Everybody Nero's sending to stop Fotini is being converted to Christianity. It's what should be happening in our own lives. Everybody that comes in contact with us. I want to stir up faith today. Faith like you had when you first believed. Faith like you had when it was the moment you met him. Faith that you, that you had in the back of your heart that said, I'm going to win the world for Jesus. Why did we stop? Why did we stop? In a rage... Nero gave orders to flay. This is going to be a little graphic. In a rage, Nero gave orders to flay the skin from St. Fatini and to throw her down a well. 
Sebastian, Fotinus, and Joseph had their legs cut off, and they were thrown to the dogs, and then had their skin flayed off. The sisters of St. Fotini all suffered terrible torments. I'm not even going to go into what he did to her sisters. St. Fotini was removed later from the well after her sisters had been murdered and locked up in prison for 20 days. Been trying to get to this. After this, Nero had St. Fotini brought to him and asked if she would now relent and offer sacrifice to idols. St. Fatini spat in his face and laughing at him said, O most impious of the blind, you profligate and stupid man, do you think me so deluded that I would consent to renounce my Lord Christ and instead offer a sacrifice to idols as blind as you? Hearing such words, Nero gave orders to throw St. Fatini down a well where she surrendered her soul then to God. So she died in a well. She died in a well. She met Jesus at a well. She gave her spirit to the Lord in the bottom of a well. What could drive someone, some random lady, to become the matriarch of the faith? What kind of power did Jesus have? What kind of anointing was on His life? What kind of love did He show her that would not only change that town, but she went on to become a matriarch of the faith and the church has just forgot about her. The church has forgot her, but the Western church doesn't want to hear it. And I'm going to tell you why they don't want to hear it. Because we've still got our mind made up on who this woman was. We've still got her pegged as an adulteress. We've still got her pegged as a whore. All those things. So we're going to get into that a little bit. We're going to get into the truth of the matter here. Because he said those that worship me will worship me in spirit and in truth. So we're in John 4. Go ahead and go to John 4 if you're not there. How many enjoyed that little lesson in church history? So I encourage you. Don't take it as scripture, for heaven's sake. I'm not saying this is our new Bible, but delve into church history a little bit. God is still moving. He's moved throughout the ages. He's moving now. But you're not, there's no sense in shutting, your, shutting your, uh, your mind off to what has already happened. So John 4. Now we're going to get into the, the biblical side of it so everybody can take a deep breath. When therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself baptized not but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again into Galilee. And he must needs go through Samaria. Then cometh he to a city of Samaria which is called Sychar, near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well. And it was about the sixth hour. Say, Jesus sat on the well. Say it one more time. Jesus sat on the well. There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink. What was he asking to drink out of? The well or the woman? He was asking for a drink. He was, that wasn't just a setup. It was a setup, but it wasn't just a setup. He asked her for a drink because he wanted to drink out of her well. He wanted to drink out of her soul. 
For his disciples were gone away into the city to buy meat. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou being a Jew asketh drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealing with the Samaritans. Brent preached a message probably five, four or five years ago that went into great detail of why Samaria and the Samaritans and the Jews don't get along. I don't need to go into all that because Brent covered it very well. If you want to look it up, it's called A New Commandment to Love. You can search it on the church's page, and I encourage you to do that. But this woman is all of a sudden coming in contact with Christ, and she's in the middle of three kind of different problems here. Number one, she's lost. She's desperate. Number two, she's a different race. And number three, she's got a different religion. Okay, Different religion altogether. Because when Jesus comes to her, he's not only coming to her to restore her, he's coming to restore Samaria. So maybe the reason you're here at this church ain't just about you. Maybe it's to restore your family. I mean, it's, it's happened in my family. It's happened in my family. Maybe, maybe, maybe the reason you're here isn't for you. Maybe the fact that you, you, you wake up every day and you choose to do the right thing and you choose to read your Bible and you choose to pray and you choose to stay in communion with God, maybe that's because way down the line somewhere there's a little girl that's going to need to call on what you've already lived. That's why when I posted a picture today to Facebook, I had all my kids sit on the swing and we stood behind them of my grandmother's house. And I began to just think this morning of the anointing that flew, flowed through my grandmother and all the joy of the Lord that we've experienced in that little cement block house. The little cement block house. They just sold it. They just sold it this, this a couple weeks ago. So we had to finally go and get all of her stuff out of there. And in doing this, we began to share stories. And I saw that my cousin had shared a story about my grandmother that I didn't even know. My cousin grew up with my with my grandmother, he would be sitting on the couch with her down playing in the floor and he remembers hearing her read the Bible to one of her friends who was illiterate. Think about that. Talk about something that's going on back in 1980, 1970. She's just this little old lady in Faustin, North Carolina that's sharing the gospel with somebody that's illiterate. Reading the gospel on the phone. And you wonder why I get excited. You wonder why I'm filled with joy. You wonder why my kids are prospering. You wonder why my life is going good. It's nothing that I've earned or done. Isaac messed up. Abraham messed up. Jacob messed up. We all kind of mess up. We all don't get it right. We not, none of us keep it in between the lines. None of us. None of us keep it in between the lines. Just because you think you're in between the lines probably means you're outside the lines. You're staying in between the lines is running other people off the road because you're driving on the wrong side. You're telling people you're, you're, you're telling people you need to keep it, on the, keep it on the road here and you're going down the opposite side of the road. You're going down the wrong road. It's all these things that she's poured into me. All these things that Christ pours into all of us. It's not just about today, y'all. It's about Wyatt's kids. It's about Hadley's kids. It's about Tegan's kids. It's about Gatlin's kids. Gatlin's great, great, great grandchildren. Don't look funny at me. 
Don't look funny at me. People's been telling us the world's going to end for 2,000 years. Way on past that. That's all you hear at work when you talk about Jesus. I'm telling you, what do you think, brother? It's about time God's about to come. Man, I don't even want to get into it no more. I all I want to do is live and love. It's what Fotini did. So, then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, verse 9, How is it that thou being a Jew ask a drink of me, which, is a, which I'm a woman of Samaria, for the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans? Don't you know that we don't talk to each other? Don't you know that you're not supposed to talk to me? You're not even the same race as me. We despise y'all. Y'all despise us. Let's keep it that way. She put up a big wall right there. Don't you know who you are? Don't you know where you're at? You're in Samaria. Y'all don't come this way. Verse 10, Jesus answered and said unto her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that saith to you, Give me to drink, thou wouldest have asked of him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said unto him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence then hast thou that living water? This is what Brent ministered on. When she spoke those words, she was speaking it from the depths of her heart. You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Was she talking about Jacob's well or talking about her well? Both. She was referencing Jacob's well, saying, Jesus, you're asking for a drink of water. You didn't even come with a bucket. You didn't even come with a bucket, and that well's really deep. But Jesus is wanting to drink out of her well, so the meaning of that is she speaks up and says, My well is deep. My pain is deep. My brokenness is deep. And you've got nothing to touch me with because number one, you're a Samaritan. Or number one, you're a Jew. Number two, I'm a Samaritan. And number three, your people worship in Jerusalem and my people worship on this mountain, Mount Gerizim. So Jesus just starts breaking down every single one of these object, all these walls that she's built around her lie. The lie is, the lie that she's believing is that she's not loved. The lie that she believes is that she doesn't belong to anyone. And she's got a lot of evidence of that. She's got a lot of reasons to believe her lie. See, that's the problem. When you start believing a lie for yourself, you begin to build your life around the lie. And then you try and tear it down, and you've got a lot more work to do. But it's okay, because we finally got somebody that's ready to go down and do the work with us. She found that day somebody that was willing to go down into the well with her. She found somebody that day that no longer looked at her as somebody that he rejected. She found somebody that day that she could call her Abba. She found somebody that day that accepted her soul. If you knew the gift of God and who it is said, that says this to you, give me to drink, you, he would, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said unto him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. From whence then hast thou this living water? Art thou greater than our father Jacob which gave us the well and drank thereof himself and his children and his cattle? Jesus said, ain't that amazing? She said, are you better than Jacob? And Jacob had, or Jesus had to be like, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I just love that side of the Bible. I don't know if you read it like that, but like, she's asking God, the maker of Jacob, if he's better than Jacob. Are, are you better than Jacob? Actually, I fought with Jacob so, and won. I made him think he was winning, but I won. But anyway, he didn't say all that. It would have been funny, but he didn't. He said, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. 
But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give, him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. She faced rejection by racism. She faced rejection by religion. And she faced rejection by relationships, what we're about to get into. The woman said unto her, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. Jesus said to her, Go call thy husband and come hither. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said unto her, Thou hast well said, I have no husband. For thou hast had five husbands, and he whom thou hast is not thy husband. In that saidest thou, truly, I have no husband. So the way we've always been taught that is what? She's a harlot. She's an adulteress. She can't hold a marriage. She's always running out on him. The problem with that is, is if you do it just a, a tiny little bit of research, the first person I heard mention this was Maddie Montgomery, just to give credit to where credit's due. Then I, I went back and listened to Brent's message, and he hit on this just, just a little bit. But the fact of the matter is, there's no way that that woman could have left five men in that day and time and been standing where she was. Another man would not have accepted her if she would have left the first. Do you understand a woman couldn't write a bill of divorce, right? The, the woman couldn't divorce the man. The man could divorce the woman for cooking the, the greens bad, for, for feeding him bad food. Yeah. The man, could have, the man could divorce the woman for any reason if she didn't go get, make him a sandwich when he asked for one. Get out of here. Just get out of here. You're not going to make me a sandwich. Just get out of here. So her story was she'd been married five times. The guy she was living with wasn't her husband. And then the church, <laughs> you see why we don't want to talk about St. Fatini? Because we still got these prejudices built up in our heart. We still look at her like she was the woman that left all these men. She's the woman that keeps busting up marriages. She's the one that keeps doing all this. When the fact of the matter, she was probably rejected all those times. She was the one that was rejected. She was the one that got threw out. And then the guy she's living with now ain't her husband. You want to know why she's living with somebody? Because she had to have somebody provide for her because you can't, you can't do like we're doing now. If you were single back then, a woman couldn't provide for herself. You know a child had more status than a woman then? A child. They didn't even count the women. That's why in the Bible it lists all these numbers and women and children. Like they're just nothing. And women and children. But then this woman comes to Christ. She's been left. So, so here, here, hear this. More than likely, her story is shrouded in death and rejection. Very likely that she's been rejected by these men, and it's very likely that one or two of these men may have died. Very likely that her story is shrouded in rejection and death. And then she comes up to Christ and says, I have no husband. And he said, you, you, you just told the truth. The guy you're living with ain't even your husband, and you've had five before him. We always look at that. Jesus is trying to oh, stomp on her. Bam! Yeah. Yeah, you ain't got no husband because you're, you're cheating. That's why we read it. That's not how it was. Jesus just telling her the truth. Because you know, if we're going to worship in spirit and in truth, you know what that requires? The truth. 
Too many people want to worship, say, I, I want to worship in spirit and in truth, and then you'll lie about who you are. You'll lie about what's going on inside of you. And then you'll build your whole life around the lie. She, she believed from a very early age, I believe, that she was not loved. And she continued to get in bad situations. She continued to be rejected. So if you continue to wake up every day and tell yourself that, oh, I'm a failure, I'm just going to be rejected, don't be surprised if by 12 o'clock you're pretty rejected and failing pretty miserably. That's a negative, bad pattern to get into. You cry out to God and say, why is my life like this? And we know where the answer is. But we're too prideful to ask for it. We're too prideful to get on our knees and ask God to deliver us. We're too prideful to pick up our Bibles and go back to the roots of where we used to be. We're too prideful to ask God to help. Because we've drove the ship this far, we might as well keep on driving it. You know, they were standing at Jacob's well. You know what this reminds me of? It reminds me when Jacob was at Jabok and he had sent all the family ahead. He had sent all of his men ahead. He had gotten word that Esau had 400 men and he was going to murder him. He, he, that's what Jacob thought. Okay, I'm finally going to die. So I might as well just pray one last prayer before I go meet Esau. And God begins to wrestle with Jacob through the night. Jacob's winning. And Jacob finally says, I'm not going to let go until you bless me because all my life I've had to fight for it. All my life I've had to do this. I'm not going to let you go, God, until you give me what I want. And then God touches the hollow of his thigh when he asked him, Who are you? I am Jacob. Touches the hollow of his thigh. His life is completely changed. I am Jacob. I have no husband. Same statement. She's telling the truth of who she really is. I have no man. It reminds me of the man laying at the, temp, at the, at the, at the water asking God, or, or God, they come up to him and say, why, why won't you get in the water? I'm waiting on the angel to come and there's no man to put me in there. There's no man. I have no man. She's saying, I have no man. Jacob's saying, I, I'm, just, I'm just a trickster. I'm just a swindler. Because I never believed that my daddy loved me. I never believed that. I had to trick my dad to love me. And the fact of the matter is, I don't think he tricked him at all. I think he knew exactly what he was doing when he gave Jacob the birthright. You can argue with me on that later after church. I enjoy that argument. That's a fun one. So she says, I have no husband. Verse 19, the woman said unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and you say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. See what she did there? This is good, guys. This is really good. Jesus made a breakthrough. Jesus made a breakthrough with her. And what would she do? She threw up religion again. It's what we do. Exactly what we do when God starts to impress your heart, when God starts to make a move towards your heart, when God finally starts getting close to who you really are, then you start throwing up all your old religion again. Well, you're worshiping this place. Y'all worship in Jerusalem. We worship on the mountain. It just ain't going to work, man. This ain't going to work. This ain't going to work. I, I, I have no husband. I'm a Samaritan. Y'all worship over there. We worship over here. Another wall. 
another wall. Jesus said unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when you shall neither worship in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship, you worship, you know what, not what. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh and now is when the true worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship Him. God is a spirit and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. The woman said unto him, I know that the Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. When He is come, He will tell us all things. There's another wall. There's another wall. He, he, he's getting down into her dirt. And then she said, I think, I think you're right, but you know, when he comes, <laughs> when he comes, it'll be okay. How, how much of your life are you living that way? Well, when he comes, it'll be okay. When he comes, he'll straighten all this out. Well, when he comes, it'll all get better. But he's coming now. He's here now. He's, he's still coming, but he's already came here. He's already in you. Oh, it'll be okay when the Savior comes. I'll understand it better by and by. <laughs> we'll understand it better by and by. In the sweet by and by. We wonder why wicked prosper. In the sweet by and by, we'll figure it out. No need to use our brains now, Lord. Jesus said unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. And upon this came his disciples and marveled that he talked with the woman. Yet no man said, What seekest thou, or why talkest thou with her? The woman then left her water pot and went her way into the city and said unto the men, Come see a man which told me all the things that I ever did. Is not this the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came unto him. In the meantime, while his disciples prayed, saying, Master, eat. But he said unto them, I have meat to eat that you know not of. Jesus was so fired up that he started just throwing off confusing stuff. Hey, we got you some bread. Oh, I got meat to eat you don't even know of. You don't know what just happened. I just led this woman to myself. Jesus can't say I led somebody to Christ because he is. I just led her to myself. I just want another one for myself. I want one for me. I have meat to eat that you know not of. Disciples, I wonder how many times they're just like, would you please just say something plain to me? I have bread to eat that you know not of. It's like we were talking last, I got to insert this right here. We were talking last night. Out of all the people in the Gospels, you know, if you read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and then read John's Gospel, I would just love to have been in the room when John came in later. And they knew that he wrote like the whole gospel as the one whom Jesus loved. That's how he referenced himself. Could you imagine like them seeing John after they, he comes up like, did you read it? Did you read it? Did you read it? Yeah, we read it. We read it. We read the whole gospel. Even the part where you won a race to the tomb. We read the whole thing. And Danny threw in a little funny quib on that last night too. He could picture the disciples talking about who's going to betray God. And you, maybe John would say something to Thomas like, you know, I bet it's going to be Judas. And Thomas would be like, I doubt it. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. Too easy. So she built all these walls around her lie. Religion, race, relationship, 
She built everything around the lie that she wasn't loved. She said, I have no husband. And then she left her water pot. That's significant. Because she didn't want to draw from that well anymore. She didn't want to draw from that well anymore. She left the water pot because she had no intentions of going back down that well anymore. So, the reason I wanted to talk about this story is because what I believe happened and then what happened for me is very similar. I believe that Jesus did a little psychology work with her that day. We talked about it earlier today. Pastor even referenced Michael using psychology or being a psychologist. See, Christ used psychology. So he, he, he peeled every layer of the onion back until he got down to the truth of it is, I don't believe nobody loves me. And he took his time. It's the longest recorded uh, discussion between Jesus and a female in the Bible because he took his time to get down to the base of the problem. The problem was not that she just needed a new friend. She needed a father. The problem was not that she needed a new profession or a better husband. The problem was that her whole life she didn't believe that she was loved. A few years ago, Kristen and I went on a trip to one of the beaches, one of the local beaches. I can't remember. It may have been Myrtle. But God woke me up about 4 in the morning, 3 or 4 in the morning, while we were on that little vacation. It was just me and her. We were celebrating an anniversary. We had to take credence with us because she was just a little tiny baby. God woke me up at 4 in the morning. They were snoring, sleeping. Don't look at me like that. I'm the snorer. I'll admit it. But I woke up and, and I started walking. I just went out of the room and I walked the beach. And I'd been thinking about Melody because I'd seen some things in Melody that were really concerning at that age. Concerning, period, not just at that age. So I'm asking you to have a little grace with me because this is probably the most personal thing I've ever shared. So Melody would have been four. She began to say, Things that a little four-year-old shouldn't say. She began to do things that were in patterns and counted, like she counted all kinds of stuff, and she would do stuff repetitively. And I knew what was happening in her because that was the same thing that happened to me, but I didn't have a name for it. I didn't know what it was. She had came to us and she had just, y'all know Melody, just the happiest little girl. She would come to us at four years old, and none of, not many of you know this. But she would come to us at four, year old, she's four years old. She'd wake up in the morning and just cry. Just cry her eyes out. And we couldn't figure out what was going on. But I recognized it because it was what was going on with me when I was a teenager. You see, I referenced that story of when I met Kristen. I got in that culvert and I prayed to God that he would give me a reason to live. I always talked about being deeply depressed, right? Well, I never went into details of that depression until today. And I'm asking the church to have grace with me. 
Just ask him to have grace with me. Because that, he came down in my will. He came down in my will. He's the reason I'm alive. So I saw the same thing in Melody. He woke me up at 4 o'clock in the morning. Start walking on the beach and I think to start researching what we've heard. What we've heard her say. She would say things like, Dad, I'm having terrible, terrible thoughts. Bad, bad thoughts. And she wouldn't, we couldn't even get her to tell us what the thoughts were. But I found something. Found a woman named Natasha Daniels. And she spends her life treating OCD and anxiety. And I began to read this woman's teachings and her her studies. I began to listen to her podcast and all the way home, Kristen and I are listening to what this woman is saying. And I believe at that moment when he woke me up at 4 o'clock in the morning, he gave me the wisdom to research for my little girl. Because we, we, we bought the course, we bought a big course, we did, did the schooling, did the training, and we began to work on Melody. Because I knew that something was off. And what OCD is, it's not just you've you got to keep your house in order. It's not just you've got to keep all the, the spoons and the forks in the right trays and the, 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 your food can't touch. OCD is way, way, way more than that. I don't know if anybody's ever explained it to you, but OCD, her, her type of OCD is called scrupulosity OCD or bad thought OCD or moral OCD. And what she did at four years old, she would process information and instead of processing it normally like we do, it's a compulsive disorder to where when she thinks the first time that that girl ever thought about death, she owned the thought. She owned the thought. She didn't process the thought. She owned the thought. She thought because she thought about it, that was who she was. So Melody would just come to us crying, saying terrible, terrible stuff. Like, this girl's four years old. What is going on with her? She'd say, Dad, I've thought about this. I've thought about that. I'm afraid. I'm, and, I, and I recognized it. So then we went into all this study. And this lady brings up an idea. An idea of how you separate the thought from who you are. Because she, I, I don't have to go into all the details, but just know that she was thinking about death at four years old. That should be enough for you. She was thinking about death at four years old, and she was owning that thought. That she had a part in it, that she, that was going to be her fate. At four years old! So then we introduced the thought of how do we separate what she's thinking with who she is. And what Natasha Daniels does for kids, she calls it Mr. Bossy. So Mr. Bossy is where the thought comes from to her. And then we recognize later that she had moral OCD because we're raising her, trying to raise her right. So she attributed her deepest fear with her performance. So her deepest fear was like, I'm going to become a mass murderer. And she would attribute that with her performance. So she had this fear of saying curse words. Fear of doing anything wrong because that would happen. That would cause the overarching fear to happen, which is I'm going to be this bad person. This was really happening in my little girl. And then we developed this 
idea with her that the thought didn't, that's not, you just had a thought. It's not who you are. You just had a thought. The first time she thought about death, she owned it. She thought, oh my God, I've thought that, so I am that. But then you see it in a little girl, and now you start recollecting in your own mind, like, oh, I do that to myself. I thought that, now I own that. I remember the night that breakthrough came for her at four years old. She may have been five at that time, but it was a long process. And one of the major things that we broke through with her own, with her OCD, is called exposure therapy. Exposure therapy is when you take the thing that they're most afraid of and you expose them to it. So her moral OCD was she was afraid to say a bad word. So guess what we did? We let her say a bad word. And it took probably 30, 40 minutes to get it out of her. But when she said it, it was like the weight just fell off of her. Because she realized, okay, I said the word, but that doesn't make me any worse of a person. That doesn't make me a failure. She said the word, and then all of a sudden, she starts smiling again. I'm talking about a four-year-old girl. I saw it in my daughter because I saw it in myself. So when I was a teenager, when I was a teenager, I didn't have many friends. I mean, I had my, my group of guys, my, my few friends, but I was, I was lost, man. I, I, I wanted to be like my friends. I wanted to have the girlfriends. I wanted to have the parties. I wanted to do all the stuff, but I didn't have none of that. I didn't have a girlfriend. I didn't have what I wanted. And then I began to believe the lie about myself that this is just not how it's going to work out for me. I'm not meant to have a girlfriend. I'm not meant to be married. I'm not meant to have children. These are the lies I was telling myself as a teenager. And then I built my religion around it. I built all my religion around it. My OCD, my, my compulsive disorder was that I took the Bible and I shrouded myself away from Christ. I built walls around myself with his own words. I didn't think God loved me because I wasn't normal. I thought that I was messed up. I thought something was wrong with my brain. I was ready to kill myself. And then I got in a culvert and I carved out a picture, of an art, whatever you want to call it, of Jesus in the culvert. And I said, if you don't show up, I'm going to end my life. You don't know how serious it was. You don't know how close it was. One week later, I met Kristen. She was Jesus to me. She was Jesus to me. She was the one that went into the depths of my deepest fear with me. I had a companion. I had a friend. I had somebody that would navigate the darkness inside of me. And you know what she did? She taught me that every thought that I was thinking was not who I was. Just like I did for Melody. Every thought that she was thinking was not her. It was just a thought. But it's OCD. I think the woman at the well had a little OCD. I think that she believed her whole life that I'm not accepted. I'm not loved. So therefore, I'm going to settle for whatever Job whoever comes by and I'll give my life to him and then he throws her away oh I'll go to him and then he throws her away 
And then when Jesus gets down to the bottom of it, she didn't believe she had a God in the first place. She didn't believe she had a Father. She didn't believe she had purpose. She didn't believe any of it. But when he asked her for a drink, he was asking for a drink from the well that he hadn't had in a long time. Her well. You see how credence runs through up here during worship? She could care less about anything. Care less. I'm sure, I'm sure the thoughts come through some of y'all's heads like it does mine growing up in church. Sit that kid down. Don't let your kid be running around. This is the house of God. Oh, God. This is the house of God. You want to take them back here and beat the fire out of them. Beat the fire out of them. Teach them how to sit still. See how sit still and be miserable. This is what we do. We sit still. So the preacher can fuss at us all the time. That's the kind of church I was raising. We'd go, we'd go eat after service bill. Oh, man, he, told, he was rough, man. God, he was hard. I liked it. I liked it. Like we want some kind of pain or something. Yeah, it was good. Preacher was good. He's on today. Well, he tore me wide open. He hit me seven ways from Sunday, man. It was bad. God, it was good, though. Them kids didn't move. I enjoyed the service. Everybody was dressed real good. Nobody had a mini skirt on. Oh, let me pull back. Let me pull back. That one hit home. <laughs> that one hit home. See, if you would be focused on your internal dialogue, you could care less what's wrong with everybody else. If you'd be focused on what's going on inside your own well, then you wouldn't be calling this man after service fussing about the whole service. Give me a break. Wake up, people. It's so easy to point out other people. You know why? Because you believe the lie. You believe the lie. You think you've got to fight and earn his approval? He accepts every one of you here. He does nothing but throw himself out and let you walk all over him. How many times have you laid down in a mud hole and let us walk over it? How many times? You know why we can't take it? It's because deep down, it's us that's broken. Deep down, it's our lie. Deep down, it's the woman at the well. Deep down, it's St. Fatini before she ever knew who she was. He wanted to drink of her well. He wanted to drink of the well like Credence coming up through here and running and not caring what anybody thought. Except you become like children. You knew I had to bring it up. So Melody, when she asked me, she's been asking me when I'm going to preach again for months. Because she wanted me to tell y'all something. She wanted me to tell y'all a story. So we were sitting in a restaurant in Morganton, eating some pizza. And Malachi and Melody were sitting there. We were just waiting on our food. So they have this staring contest. Just another, you know, random meal we're enjoying together. They have this staring contest, and in that moment, they both realize they're both very good at a staring contest. And I recognize it as well. It's like, this became very, <laughs> it became awesome. I mean, I became amazed with my own two children because they would not blink. Neither one. 
And, like, I was beginning to be, like, loud in the restaurant because of it. Because I was getting into it. Like, Malachi or Melody, either one, would not blink. They were streaming tears down their face. Like, I mean, they cried for minutes. Neither one blinked. And I'm like, I have created the best, eye, like, staring contest people there's ever been to walk this earth. It's like, God used me to bring this gift about. They're the best at this. They can't lose. Oh, my God, it went on. I'm serious. I'm not lying. I, I, I would bet my life that it lasted over four minutes. Four or five minutes. But Melody, for months now, has said, whenever you preach... You got to tell them about the staring, the staring contest. You got to tell them about that. And then I'm like, okay, I'll tell them. But I'm thinking, so here's my subject material. And she wants me to say that. You know what that did for me? It told me that psychology works. Psychology worked with her. It's not easy. It's not easy to go to church here. It's not easy. Because this is not your normal Sunday service. You're not going to hear your normal Sunday preaching. We're going to ask you to journey with us into places you don't want to go. And the effects of that is seen throughout this congregation. Don't blame everybody else for your internal problems. Don't blame everybody else. Don't blame Pastor Kevin for your own problems. Yeah, you pointed out a problem. We can point out problems easy. I can point out problems all day. But when it becomes the focus of your heart to be one with the man that can set you free, you're no longer worried about everybody else's problems. All of a sudden now it's like, okay, how can I throw a lifeline out? How can I help in this situation? How can, I be a, how can I be a brother or sister to somebody? How can I sacrifice myself to get you to where you need to be? Because we all make mistakes. We all swerve off the road. Psychology is part of the gospel, part of the ministry. It takes honesty. That's why he said, those who worship me, worship me in spirit and in truth. Spirit and in truth, you can't lie and worship God. You can't lie about yourself and worship God. You can't lie about your internal situation. You can't lie. that It just can't happen. That's why it doesn't work for you. That's why when, when you see people worshiping God and entering into His presence, and you can't, it's because you're lying to yourself. And the lie is that He doesn't love you. But He does. I got one more thing I want to say. Turn to Genesis 26. See now why Spotini became who she became, right? 
it's not because she just met some random dude at a well. It's because he reached into her identity and showed her who she really was. She left her water pot. (laughs) Imagine that day. It was just a normal day. She was carrying the water pot up the hill to go to the well. And there he sat. How many stories is like that? It's just a normal day. And then Jesus just happened to be sitting on this same well that I dip down into every single day. And when I drop that water pot down, I'm thinking internally of what I'm doing in my own soul. Every time that I drop that water pot down, I'm thinking about this guy that I'm living with. I'm just going to get his water just because I need somebody to survive. I don't even love him. I've been rejected my whole life. But I'm going to keep just dipping this water pot down into this well day after day after day after day after day. Day after day, she dipped that water pot down in that well saying, I'm I'm not loved. I'm not provided for. I'm going to have to provide for myself. I'll have to do all this on my own. Day after day, dip in the water pot, dip in the water pot. And then when she finally realizes who she is, she leaves the water pot at the well. So as I'm praying last night, you know what I start doing with my fears? I say, here's my water pot. Here you go. Take it. I don't need to even delve down into that well no more. I don't need to worry about that. You said you're going to provide. So I'm going to let you provide. Here's my water pot, God. Just forget it. I'm not digging there no more. Genesis 26, verse 18. And Isaac digged again the wells of water which they had digged in the days of Abraham his father. For the Philistines had stopped them after the death of Abraham. And he called their names after the names by which his father called them. Isaac digs out the wells of Abraham. And not only does he dig them out, he names them the same name that they were called before. So what did Jesus do with her? Her well had been filled in years ago. Dirt, clay, mud, all this junk that they poured down and filled her well. Jesus dug her well, got all the way back down to where a wellspring of life started to pour back out of this woman. And he named her the same name that he called her into existence with. He calls you by your name that only you know. That's why Brent, when he finished what I was saying the last time I spoke, he said that he gives you a rock and in that, in that hidden, in that white stone is a name that only you know. That only He knows. And He calls you by that name. That's why church and Jesus and the faith work for you. Because you've heard the name. And you can't even utter it. It reminds me of something that this guy, me and this guy at work have been talking. He's, he's asking questions about God. And he's asking questions about language. He's like, well, how do you even have the Bible? Like, that was all man's words and all this and all that. I said, it's really, you know, you can, you can try and figure all this out scientifically or or try and mathematically equate God and it's not going to work for you. All I'm telling you is I've got a story, an experience to where I called out for this God. I called out for this God whose name is Jesus and He showed up for me. He gave me what I asked for. He rescued me out of the depths of hell. He did it. Faith, it takes faith. You're not going to figure all this out on your own. It takes faith. So I've heard the name. That's what I'm talking about. You hear the name that only you know. She heard him call her name. That's why when it said that um, um, 
the Italian guy's name, but I forgot the first of the story. Sebastian, when he was blinded, he said, the God of the Christians is the real God. And then Victor said, why would you say that? He said, because Christ is calling me. Christ is calling me. He got baptized and his sight came back. He redigs the old wells. He redigs the well. So you may be here today and you think, I understand all this, but, you know, it's a good, good message, but I'm just going to go ahead and walk out like I have before because I, I don't believe. I don't believe that what you're saying is true for me. You may not have a, a, a mama S tale in your story. You may not have a patriarch or a matriarch. You may, you may not have somebody in your family that you can call on. You may not have a story. She didn't have a story. She didn't have any connection to Christ until he showed her what it really was. She didn't have any tie-in to the faith. She was a Samaritan. She said, your people worship in Jerusalem. My people worship on this mountain. She had no tie-in whatsoever and he dug all the way down to find her tie-in and the tie-in was he spoke her into existence. He's sitting on your well. He's sitting on your well as you walk by him and you dip the pot in. When you dip the water pot down in the well to choose to think the thoughts you think, you're dipping them with him sitting on the well. And he's saying, you don't have to put that down there. You don't have to dip that down there. You don't have to put that water pot back down there. Stop. You don't have to think that. You don't have to think that. You don't have to think that. But i got to get water. i got to survive. I can't do it. I, I'm all by myself. If I don't get water for the house, nobody gets water. Leave the water pot alone. I'm not calling you to be married to some another loser. I'm calling you to win the world. St. Fatini stood in the face of Nero, spit in his face, and died in the bottom of a well. Don't you know that she was down in that well as she committed her spirit to God and said, I wouldn't want to be anywhere else because I've been at the top before and I've looked down wanting you. I've looked down wanting you in that well and now you're here with me. So if this is where I die, this is where I die. Hallelujah. She didn't die alone. Your greatest fear is aloneness. Your greatest fear is that you're going to be alone. And he said, those that come to me, I will make a river of living water burst forth out of their belly. All who are thirsty, let him come to me. If any man thirsts, let him come to me. And I will bring out of his belly a river of living water. She died in the bottom of that well and she thought, I guarantee you, she looked up and she thought, I would rather be here than standing up there dipping into this than standing up there and dipping into the lie again. Stop dipping into the lie. Stop dipping into the lie that you're not loved. Stop dipping into the lie that you're not going to be married one day. Stop dipping into the lie that you're not going to have a family. That's what I did. I stopped dipping into the lie. And he showed up. He showed up. He's doing it for you right now, young man. He's doing it for you right now. He's doing it for you. Give him your water pot. Give him your water pot. Don't go into the lie anymore. Don't go into the lie. He's with you. 
He's with you in this moment. The same God that breathed you into existence. His name is Jesus. And he's saying you don't have to go down there anymore. I want you to be the well. He's doing it for you. He's doing it for each and every one of us. Come on up here. He's doing it for each and every one of us. Be honest with yourself. Be honest with yourself. I'm not going down there anymore. That's not who I am anymore. That's why Melody told me to tell you about the staring contest. Because she's not thinking about death anymore. She's not thinking about what she's afraid of anymore. She's got a father. She's got me. And I walk in her soul with her. I go down into her soul with the light. I go down into her soul and tell her, no, you just thought about that. That's not who you are. I'm a reject. I'm a failure. I can't hold a job. I can't get married. I can't have kids. I can't do this. I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't. All lies. Every single bit of it is a lie. And the only way, the only way, the only way is for you to stop putting the bucket down into the well and be the well yourself. Be the well He made you to be. Be the well He made you to be. You were made to lead people to Jesus. You were made to be the light. You're not made to be darkness. What you're believing about yourself is not true. You're, you just built things around the fact that he loved, that he doesn't love you. It's not a fact. You've built lies. You've built walls. Lies after lies your whole life. You've built them. And you've believed them. But the fact of the matter is, he's here today. And he's calling out to you the name that only you know. I love you with an everlasting love is what he's saying to you right now. I love you with an everlasting love. You've always been who I've called you to be. You've always been the one that I wanted. That's what he told Fatini. Uh, you've been who I wanted. You are mine. So you may be thinking, I don't have anybody to tie me in. Because you read these stories and you see how Abraham, starting with Abraham, Abraham wasn't a Jew. Abraham was not a Jew. Abraham was a Gentile. And God built the faith on Father Abraham. Then you think, you think about Esau. You think about Jacob. When Jacob cried out, when he was fighting with God in the middle of the night. You know what he prayed when they came and said, there's 400 men coming. There's 400 men with Esau. You know what Jacob said? <laughs> Jacob said, Oh, Father, God of Abraham, God of Isaac, show up. And he became the God of Jacob. You know what he did when Elisha grabbed Elijah's cloak and he stroked the Jordan? He said, where are you, Lord? Where is the God of Elijah? He showed up. When Joshua was 
writhing in pain from the death of Moses. God said, as I was with Moses, so shall I be with you. And then you have this woman who has no ties to anybody except Jacob. And Jacob and Jesus had to prove to her that Jacob's not Jacob anymore. This is just an old well. This is just the old lie. This is just the old lie. His name's not Jacob no more. His name's Israel. Your people worship what they don't know. But I'm giving you a chance to know me. I am the maker. I am your God. I'm your friend. I'll be a father to you. So you don't have to fear anymore. You don't have to be afraid anymore. You don't have to dip down into the well anymore. He wants to reach down into the well of your existence and redig it. But he's not going to give you a new name. He's not going to give you something you haven't heard before. He's going to give you a name that you've already heard. That's why when you were a kid, and you enjoyed being a kid, and you'd go outside and you'd play. There's been, you remember feeling like that? Go outside, you play, not a care in the world. That's the life of Jesus. You walk into this life, and it's not no longer, I've got to provide, I've got to go get water, I've got to do all this, I've got to do all that. No, the world is a playground again. I don't know what I want to be when I grow up. Remember when you used to say that? I want to be an astronaut. I want to be a dentist. I want to be a doctor. I want to be a police officer. I want to be all these things. That was because you were a kid and you weren't thinking about the junk you're thinking about now. We believed the lie that we were not loved. The fact of the matter, we've been loved all along. Saint Fatini. Saint Fatini. That's her name. The enlightened one, equal with the apostles. She died in the bottom of the well. That she, it's not the same well, I'm sure, but she died symbolically in the bottom of the well that she dipped into her whole life. Except at the bottom of that well now, she was standing with Jesus. So everybody just close your eyes. If anyone needs to meet him at the well, the altars are open, they're free. Or if you want to meet him right where you're sitting, you don't have to go anywhere. We just ask right now, Jesus, in your name, that if anybody is sitting here right now that hasn't experienced your love, that hasn't experienced the love, that you dip down into our wells and you show us who you are, Lord, we ask you in Jesus' name that you will reach down into their hearts and rip out the, the dirt, rip out the lies, rip out the clay, rip out the junk that's clogged the well. Lord, and let that little trickle of living water start back up in their life, rising up into everlasting life. Lord, we ask you right now, God, if someone in here needs healing, if someone in here needs a healing touch from you, God, we ask you, Lord, to let the rivers of living water begin to flow out of that well, God. Lord, let their healing come from within. Lord, we have faith for what you're going to do in our lives. We have faith for what you're going to do for this church. Lord, we pray that you will take this well, that you will begin to take the dirt, take the lies out of this well, God, and let the living water flow again. Lord, we thank you for what you've done here already. Lord, we thank you that this place used to be a trash dump. This used to be the local dump. 
and you decided to put it in the heart of a man to build a church here. You decided to, to find a faithful servant in Pastor Kevin to give him the heart to shepherd us. Lord, you gave him that dream and we're still here, Lord. So Lord, let this church prosper. Lord, let us rip out the dirt from our own wells. Let us pour living water to men. Let us leave our water pot behind. Let our hearts be for those in need. God, let them come from the highways and the hedges. God, give us a receptive spirit. God, give us the spirit of grace. Give us the spirit of grace, Lord. Let us have grace with all those that come. Lord, we thank you for your love, Jesus. We thank you that you have pulled us out of the miry clay. You've set us upon a solid rock. Lord, we thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your mercy and grace. Thank you for showing up for us. In Jesus' name. Jesus' name. That well, you're no longer having the buckets of self-talk, self-doubt. I hear so many people converse with themselves, the negativity of their life. They have these self-conversations out of the buckets of being depressed, being left alone. It's always going to be bad. It's always never going to turn out good. Not true. The more you look within, the more you wake and you realize, I'm not going to let me talk myself out of the blessing of abundance that God has given into my life. I listened to him today and I once again received the benefit that I understand the woman of the well better now. By submitting to a younger minister, I get a fresh breath of revelation to understand that story better than I ever have before. And if I was not submitted to you, I would have missed that. St. Fatini. God brings forth the photosynthesis of all life. That you're no longer trapped in the negative self-talk of thinking it's never going to work out and getting these buckets of water that never satisfy. Proverbs said in Proverbs 18, 4 and 25 that there's a wellspring deep on the inside of you, son. Deep on the inside. And God knows how to come in the bucket of conversation and bring out your original identity. To bring out who you really are. What you're really called to do. That it could very well be that you are His evangelist. You are His witness. You are His light. You are the called of God. The purposed of God. The anointed of God. Instead of killing yourself with your own language, killing yourself in the buckets of your self-conversation, leave the bucket behind. You don't need it anymore. I catch myself at times, and they're far and few between, thinking something's going bad is going to happen. Then I go, oh, nope, not so. I cast that imagination down. Not true. Stop lying to yourself, Kevin. Jesus is with me. That's not going to happen. My fears are not going to come to pass. My faith is. My sons will be blessed. My grandchildren will be blessed. Do you see the benefit that we have? This morning, I got on my computer because I send messages out to certain preachers every, every Sunday. 
to try to encourage them in my faith. And I've read a little thing of wisdom, and all I can think about is that word. They think because we went through a winter and we're a fruit tree and it looks like we're barren and our leaves have fallen off, but spring is upon us. Everybody say spring is upon us. This old tree has brought forth fruit for a lot of years and the leaves, Joel, they're popping back out and we're about to have a very fruitful season. Our husband man has gone through and trimmed the tree, cut off the dead branches, and now let's us living branches get busy. Get busy. Catch yourself in the trap of self-talk. When you're just murmuring. That's what a grudge is. Do you know that most of you hold a grudge against yourself? The Bible said grudge not one against another. And a grudge is when you see someone that has, you think, hurt you or offended you in some way. In a low self-tone, you begin to murmur and complain about the very presence of that person because you have a grudge and a bitterness and an indifference that you don't want to be around them. And sometimes you don't want to be around yourself. The cognitive dissonance that Brent brought out says, I'm so not what I say I am. I'm so not where I, where, where I know I can be. But Christ makes up that gap. This is the benefit. Come take my hand, brother, young, young man. I'm blessed today. I want to say this publicly. I'm blessed today to be subject to this young man. I'm blessed today to be subject to you, Brent. I'm blessed today to be subject to you, Josh. I'm blessed today to be subject to all these young ministers because I've learned today the message even better. You've taught me today. I've put this woman in a bad light. I've talked about her like she was the town whore and she wasn't. What a revelation to understand. She couldn't divorce those men if she wanted to. If she was out being unfaithful, they would have drug her out to the center of town and stoned her to death a long time ago like the woman taken in the very act of adultery. The only way she could have had five husbands, if five men, according to Deuteronomy 24, 1 through 4, went and said, I am tired of you, always burn the toast. Uh, I'm getting rid of you, and write a bill of divorcement, put it in her hand, and send her out of the house. She'd been rejected at least five times. And she was sure because of her lack of self-worth her innermost being was dead and corrupt and full of pollution. She couldn't believe God. And yet she had this little thing of hope. This little speck of hope that Jesus had to come by and say, that's what I'm looking for. And it's so small, it's like the grain of a mustard seed. And that's why I don't, I don't mind the children running and playing. This is God's house. Let your children live. Because we want you to live. We want you to believe Christ on the inside of you. Stand up and believe God. It's the greatest thing could ever happen. And stop corrupting yourself with terrible self-talk. Go into the mind of Christ and remember, when I have a bad thought, I just cast that imagination. I say, you old liar. You're going to try to get me to go down this road? How dare you? Watch this. Flick, I just flick you right out of my thinking. 
And sure, I've fallen. But the one who helps me get up has never left me and never forsaken me. I've, this is all it takes. I've gotten up one more time than all my failures. That's how, that's how good I am. I've only gotten up one more time than all my failures. My life's just full of failures. But I've gotten up just once more time, one more time. And every time I get up, it's a new beginning. It's a new beginning. All is made new. You're on the path of blessedness. You're on the path of God. It's time that we just spread our limbs forward, Alex. And new leaves are coming out. Fruit's going to pop out on the end of me. And they're going to call me a fruit loop again. Praise God. I'm going to be like the Skittles tree. And all these colored Skittles and flavors and fruits are come bursting out of us. You know, we're in the springtime of bearing fruit again. Amen. And it's healthy for us. We all go through these seasons. We all go through trimming. Our father, our, our husband man, the farmer, he knows how to keep the trees right where they should be. We had Alejandro cut our crepe myrtles back. It looked like they got scalped and joined the military. I mean, cut them half back. And now, beautiful color. They're just branching out with new life. Branching out with all their colors. And you know, cutting them back like that is the best thing for them. Best thing for them. Had they not been cut back, it wouldn't be coming forth so beautiful right now. Lift your hand and say, Our Heavenly Father, He knows what we have need of. He does know you. He loves you. You are His Son. As much as anyone in this building, you are the Son of God. And greater is He that is in you than he that is in the world. I may love Him today. This is the benefit I try to tell preachers. Instead of always punching down and manipulating and be subject to your young ministers. There's a blessing. There is a cluster of grapes of wine in this young man's life. And one saith, destroyeth it not. Because there's a blessing in you. There's a blessing in you, prophet. I've thought about it. He, now, I don't know if y'all caught it. He prophesied to me. And it was God. He said, not just little trees. I'll get some full-grown trees. Thank you. Thank you. Now, here's how it works. This is being subject. Believe in the Lord your God, so shall you be established. Hear His prophets, so shall you prosper. Well, I'm looking for those grown trees. I don't mind helping the little saplings. I give my life to them. I serve them. I give them everything I can. It seems like all I pour out, they just drink right up. And that's good. But I'm looking for some full-grown trees to come my way and finally give me some decent fellowship and treat me like, like I'm a brother and not a plague. Somebody say, praise God. Because I do love people. I want you to know that Michael will be here uh, in the evenings. I think it's going to be on uh, Tuesdays and Thursdays. And uh, he'll be open for therapy sessions. Uh, Michael the psychologist. Michael the therapist. He's the Moses of God. He's the therapon. And you know what? It's time that these men have a tabernacle's message, which means the psychology is of God.
Now Carl Jung said it like this, those who look without, they dream dreams. But those who look within, they awake. And God wants us to awaken to our originality. I'm an original. I'm not a copy. I'm not a copy of a copy of a copy of a copy. I don't like the competitiveness of Gentiles. I don't like the competitiveness of ego. I like the love and the vision of the church where we can be family. We're brothers and sisters. That's what we are. How many enjoyed today? Fantastic. Thank you, man of God. Thank you. I have been blessed today. So let's just say, let's raise our hands and say, I love him because he first loved me. Lynn Wilson sees the blessing now that our Sunday school curriculum is going to change where we don't put all these people on pedestals of perfection because God loves us despite who we are. When we're not great, when we're not good, He still loves us. We can't paint people in the Bible like they were so perfect and then teach our children, you'll never live up to that. You'll never be as good as Abraham. You'll never be as good as David. You'll never be as good as Samuel. You'll never be as good as Hezekiah. Not only am I as good as, I'm as bad as they are, which means God loves me. I'm as bad as they are. And Joel, that means I can have a prophet. Amen. Y'all love him? Once again, let's raise our hands. I love him because he first loved me. God bless you. We'll see you Wednesday night. Amen.